Hello, hello, and welcome everyone to our Compliance Crossword Podcast, where we discuss the intersection between security, privacy, compliance, and risk management. My name is Blaise Wobble, and joining me today is my co-host, Audi Lawani, and our special guest, Joe Alaquin. Hey, Audi. Hey, Joe. How are you guys doing this, this morning? Doing very good. Thanks. Joe, thank you for joining us on our podcast today. Today, we're going to discuss what will CIOs, CISOs, and CTOs focus on in 2022. And uh, Joe, would you tell us a little bit about your organization, uh, Fair Health, and uh, what, what your role is with Fair Health? Sure, absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me. Um, you know, like you said, Blaze, we've had a, a partnership for many years now. Um, so, yeah, my name is Joe Aliquin. I am Fair Health's Chief Information Security Officer. I've been with the company for about three and a half years now. Um, but overall in the security space for about 18 years. Um, and Fair Health uh, is an independent nonprofit organization based here in New York. And its core mission is essentially, you know, to provide transparency around healthcare costs. So we have, uh, through a number of online tools and analytics that we're able to produce, we help inform patients about, you know, healthcare costs that then they may have in the future. Um, I always bring up the example, you know, I need to have knee surgery. Um, and I need to understand how much I'm going to potentially have to pay out of pocket, whether I'm insured, not insured, in network, out of network. Um, you know, so our tools help patients, you know, get informed about how much money they're going to be spending. And we have tools for, for physicians that help them determine how much they're going to charge patients for certain procedures and things of that nature. So, um, yeah, overall healthcare transparency and particularly around cost. Thank you, Joe. And I think we definitely uh, live in times where we need that transparency from a healthcare perspective, uh, because there's just so much discrepancy um, in the healthcare industry in the U.S. Um, I think this topic couldn't be, you know, more timely and relevant as it is, as it is today, especially after we're coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, hopefully. <laughs> and uh, at the same time, you know, there's the the, the Russian and Ukraine war going on. Um, I think the role of CIOs and uh, CISOs are are changing, essentially. From your perspective, Joe, uh, what do you think CISOs and CIOs and CTOs need to focus on in uh, 2022? Yeah, the, uh, you know, you're right. These are challenging times. You know, we're, we're hopefully coming out of this pandemic. There's, uh, you know, a lot of conflict and, and, and war, particularly in Ukraine. And I think a lot of these situations are going to start defining what those goals, whether it be short term or long term, uh, for a lot of security professionals, for a lot of, uh, you know, TTOs, technology folks. Um, I would say that, you know, particularly around the pandemic, um, I don't think it's any surprise to anyone, but I think organizations are going to start to shift their mentality around their their workforce, right? The shifting over to a more distributed workforce environment. Um, you know, I think I, I don't I don't see a world where after this pandemic, companies are still, uh, you know, having this idea of the rigid work workplace where you know we have the office and everyone has to be there. Um, now, with that, obviously, comes different challenges, um, not just on the technology side, right? Having the right infrastructure to allow your staff. To, to be able to work from anywhere, um, but also on the security side, there, there's a lot of risks that now security professionals are having to focus on that, you know, they're not new, but maybe in the past they weren't as prevalent as they are now. So the, the more 
more prevalent use of video conferencing uh, systems, the more prevalent use of staff traveling around the world and potentially working from other countries uh, yeah, every now and again. So I think security professionals are going to start having to consider, well, you know, how do we further lock down these endpoint devices, right? So now we have people over, all over the world. Maybe we need to further lock down these endpoint devices because they may be, you know, easy for an attacker, for an attacker to get a hold of them. Um, you know, how do we mitigate some of these new risks or more prevalent risks around, around video conferencing, around, you know, more stronger authentication? Again, having staff be uh, working from, from anywhere in the world. How do you, how do you really implement strong authentication mechanisms so that you really know who's coming into your network and, and accessing your resources? Um, so, so that, you know, the pandemic will definitely shed light into a lot of these risks and will force people to, to really pay close attention to them. Um, now, as it relates to the current environment, right, with the war and the so many threats from countries such as Russia that um, about, you know, state sponsored attacks and, you know, Russia themselves have said that they they plan to target any allies of Ukraine um, uh, from a cyber from a cyber perspective, right? Cyber attacks. Um, I think it, in that perspective, organizations are going to start looking at this and realizing that they need to be a little more proactive with some of their internal processes. Um, you know, I always say that when it comes to these state-sponsored attacks, which aren't really new, right? They've been around for, for a long time. Um, if you do two things, you know, there, there's many things that you can do to protect your environment, but if you do these two things, you're, in my opinion, you're halfway there. And one is to focus on the social engineering piece, right? Uh, train staff uh, around social engineering. We all know that, you know, uh, phishing and these types of attacks are really the way an attacker can get their foot in the door. And, and once they get in, that's now they have, you know, they can potentially have the keys to the kingdom. So really focus on training, social engineering training. Um, if you can do simulated phishing campaigns so that you can get an idea of which staff members may be a little more susceptible to phishing than others. Um, so, so really added focus on that. So, you know, going forward 2022 and on, if companies aren't investing in those types of, uh, of solutions like simulated phishing um, tools and, 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 you know, those types of, uh, you know, excellent resources, they're going to find that they really need to, to put some money into that and, and, and it's going to help tremendously. And then the second aspect that I always say, you know, helps tremendously with these types of attacks is being proactive about you know, really remediating any known vulnerabilities, known issues from your environment. You know, I, I think everyone knows that once an attacker is in, the first thing they're going to look for is, you know, uh, systems that are vulnerable, systems that have issues that are exploitable. Um, and then that way they can escalate and, and, and really get to, to your environment and get to the resources that they want. Um, so really be more proactive about keeping your systems patched. Um, you know, decommissioning or sunsetting systems that are end of life is crucial. Um, and, and, and really, once you couple those two things, right, you're, you're at least uh, help, helping staff understand the risks of social engineering and then internally keeping your systems up to date and, you know, doing that, a lot of that maintenance uh, more proactively. You know, you know I, I know, in, you know, some companies tend to procrastinate when it comes to you know, installing patches and upgrades. 
But if you manage to do those two things, in my opinion, you're halfway there. And, and then coupled with everything else, right, other security controls that you may have in place, you're in a pretty good spot for, by, you know, uh, protecting your organization against these state-sponsored attacks. Um, and then finally, I would say, you know, there's the pandemic piece, there's the, you know, the, these types of attacks, ransomware, and, and really targeted attacks. Um, and then the third piece that I think that a lot of security and technology professionals are going to be focusing on is really around efficiencies, creating efficiencies around internal processes. Um, only because, I mean, I think everyone knows that a lot of security staff out there often feel burned out. Um, you know, just recently I read a study that they did around, you know, they interviewed hundreds of security analysts throughout you know, various different industries. And, and really the consensus is that staff is feeling burnt out. Um, and there could be many reasons around that. I mean, it could be, you know, you have a team that's understaffed, right? They're, you're, you're doing too much with too little people. Um, it could be that their processes are very manual, right? You, you've been accustomed to doing things in a very manual way, which obviously takes up more time and, and it's just more, more time consuming and more work. Um, and also, it, it, you know, it could be, you know, you're having, you're inundated on a daily basis by alerts and, and events that you need to investigate and, and you can't really focus on one thing. So again, being overwhelmed with so much data that you're trying to analyze on a daily basis can cause that. So I think it's going to be the CISO's job, particularly to really convince senior management and upper management that, um, you know, it's it's good practice uh, to really invest in your security teams, whether it be by bringing in additional headcount or really investing in tools that help you um, really get past a lot of these manual processes and really automate. Automation is very important because ultimately that will free up staff members' time to do other things that are more important, right? To, and, and at the end of the day, the goal is to increase the organization's security posture. So, so definitely, uh, you know, um, as CISOs, we're going to have to start looking at that budget and really conveying that message to senior management that, that this is something that you want to do and it's in your best interest, right? At the end of the day. Um, so yeah, a, a lot of these things going on right now. Um, and, and going forward, you know, there's, there's a ton of things that are, that are, that professionals are going to be start, going to be considering and looking out for. But I think those are the main ones. And, and again, I can't stress that enough, particularly focusing on your security teams and growing them um, so that you have the resources necessary. Hey, Joe, that was an excellent response. And it seems like uh, most of the focus were on your employees, especially from a remote working standpoint. Uh, so on that note, uh, does Fair Health plan on keeping employees working remotely? Yeah, absolutely. At least in the short term, um, you know, we are... Staying, uh, everyone's staying remote for the time being. I think as soon as we start, hopefully, <laughs> moving past this pandemic, um, the company will start adopting a more flexible work policy. Um, we are taking into account what staff members want. We've been polling and doing surveys and, and kind of getting an idea of what everyone prefers. And I know that some people will want to remain remote after this. Some will prefer more of a hybrid hybrid work setup. And there are folks who really want to return 100% of the office. So we, we, I think the company will consider everyone's opinion and really honor them as much as possible. 
absolutely. Definitely a different world in which we live now. And if, you know, 12 years ago when I started my career, somebody told me to work remotely 100%, that would have been a foreign concept. But uh, the world is definitely changing very quickly. Uh, from a from a security perspective, um, what is your take on zero trust security and passwordless authentication, especially for remote employees? Do you think that improves security or is that something that we're probably not there yet? Yeah, I, I, you've hit it right, the nail right on the head. Um, you know, I think the zero trust security architecture or strategy at the end of the day you know, it is the right direction. You know, it is the right thing to do. And, and I think um, organizations will eventually have to start kind of shifting their strategies or their visions towards more zero trust architecture. Um, I don't think we're there yet. I mean, the, 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 the concepts of zero trust architecture are relatively new um, and they, they, they are very complex. So again, I think we're going to see organizations started to starting to adopt that type of architecture, but it's going to take time. Now, the good news around it is that there are elements of zero trust architecture that already exist and a lot of people are using, right? There's a concept of, of minimum required access. There's a concept of, of network segmentation and multi-factor authentication. So these are different elements of, of a zero trust architecture that, that many Many companies already use, um, but you know, for in order for an organization to really get to a point where they can say we are fully deploying a zero trust architecture, there's a lot of elements that are going to have to happen, right? There's, um, you know, there's the concept of understanding all your resources, um, you know, uh, really defining the different workflows. So this application or this server or this system everything that needs to access it, every port, every user, every service, um, and really have that defined so that you can create policies that say, yes, allow this or disallow that. Um, and, and ultimately the, the, the end goal of, of a zero trust architecture is really to be able to contain an asset or a resource in the event that it gets compromised and, and easily and dynamically contain that device so that it doesn't impact other resources in the network. Um, so all of those elements are ultimately, you know, uh, going to take some time to implement, but it is the right direction, in my opinion. It is, it is the, that, that horizon that we should be uh, kind of pointing towards. And I'm also hopeful that new technology that comes out now as, as, organ as these vendors, these uh, third-party tools and companies are developing software now, that they have this architecture in mind, uh, and, and ultimately that will make it easier for companies to get to that state um, because the new tools that are coming out already have that architecture in mind. I couldn't agree with you more, Joe. I, I think more and more organizations will have to build with security in mind. Um, and uh, you know, to your point, who might not fully embrace zero trust or passwordless authentication immediately, uh, but companies should definitely be tracking towards that direction eventually. So Joe, from a healthcare perspective, do you believe telemedicine is here to stay? Yes, absolutely. Um, it, funny enough, it's one of the things that Fair Health tracks, uh, you know, as part of its uh, data sets and, and analytics. Um, we've seen, uh, you know, I don't think it's any surprise that we've seen uh, uh, 
an exponential growth in the use of telehealth after 2020, right after the pandemic started. Um, and, you know, several reasons. It, some of them were because of some of the restrictions imposed on in-person visits to the offices. Um, in other cases, uh, patients just didn't want to run the risk of getting infected by going in person to, to doctor's offices. So, uh, yeah, we saw 2020, we saw that growth exponentially. Um, you know, the numbers go up exponentially. And um, to be honest, I think I don't, I don't think it's going to go away. Um, I think even after we move past the pandemic, um, people are going to still continue to use it. Um, I always say that, you know, we're, we're usually afraid of what we don't know. And in the past, a lot of people didn't really use telehealth. Um, so they were, you know, they maybe didn't understand the technology or weren't, didn't feel comfortable using, using, uh, these tools. But now that, that, you know, the, the seal is broken and people have started using them, I think they, it will garner more adoption. And I don't, I don't see us going back to pre-pandemic numbers in use, in terms of telehealth usage. That's awesome. I actually agree with that. Um, so how do you think that organizations and patients uh, tackle the security and privacy threats of telemedicine, uh, especially when it relates to remote patient monitoring devices? Yeah, um, I think for so that's I would say there's two parts of that on, on the side of the companies or, or institutions, right? The doctors, hospitals, clinics. Um, I think it's very important that as they start adopting new technologies and new monitoring devices, um, that they really understand the risks associated with them. So risk assessments, in my opinion, is one of the first things that they should do. They should look at the security risks that they're introducing with the use of these devices and the use of telehealth. Um, and really, this assessments also let them know about any potentially non-compliance with HIPAA regulations. So if you're if you're managing all this patient information, um, you know you, you want to understand if you're complying with any uh, applicable laws. Um, you want to do your vendor reviews. You want to understand who your which which are your vendors, which are your products that you're using. Um, do you know that due diligence? Um, understand if you know if there's end-to-end -end encryption of any data, patient data. Uh, that's being transmitted back and forth, strong authentication, training staff who are using these devices, that's going to be all of that, that's going to be key. And then I would say it's also going to be on the regulators to to really step up and start providing additional guidance to to not just covered entities, but also business associates on whether, you know, you know, new requirements or new regulations are needed around all of this new technology. So, so yeah, companies definitely should do their due diligence. Regulators should always be, you know, um, looking out for all the, these new trends and, and really providing more guidance to the, to, to the institutions at the end of the day. That's awesome. And and I, I love that you just tied that into our last podcast where we talked about uh, risk risk assessments and treating them as something that you continuously update. Um, I, I completely agree with that. Um, and, and I think you kind of segued into my next question there, uh, which is um, I understand that Fair Health is a SOC 2 compliant, HIPAA compliant, high trust certified uh, company. Um, and in your opinion, has performing these these types of security assessments, compliance assessments, improved your organization's security posture and control environment? Oh, yes, absolutely. No question about that. Um, you know, especially because at the end of the day, it allows us to 
really have a, a, a second set of eyes come in and look at our environment and, and, you know, and look at our processes, our policies, our controls, and really evaluate in a non-biased way, right? Whether, whether these controls are working as intended or are effectively working and protecting the environment as they should be. Um, so that, that definitely helps us quickly mitigate or address any, you know, any potential issue that, that maybe we haven't seen and, and to have this, this set of eyes come in and, and you know, these third party assessors come in and look at them. Um, is, it's really a, a valuable asset to us. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the added benefit at the end of the day is that we're able to go back to our clients and show them, not just tell them, but show them that, hey, this is proof that we comply with HIPAA, that we follow industry best practices, that we're following these, these uh, you know, industry frameworks. Um, and, and that speaks volumes about, you know, your, your security posture as, a, as an organization. So, so the, yeah, the value is, has been tremendous. Awesome. And, and you talked about how important it is for you to show your clients that you're keeping up with these compliance assessments. Um, and how important is it for you, for, for your vendors uh, to make sure that they, when you're selecting vendors, to make sure that they're performing these sorts of compliance assessments? Yeah. So, um, you know, as we, as we look at, at firms, when, when we're um, going to be performing these third-party audits and assessments, there are things that, that we look for. And, and I think every organization out there, whether you're a covered entity or a business associate, you know, as you're bringing in these third-party assessors, you should always, of course, you know, of course, it's, it's an obvious thing to, to, to mention, but make sure that they have experience, right? First of all, experience in the types of audits that you want to be um, engaging on. Um, that, that they have a, a proven track record. Um, also, you know, that they understand, I, and this is very important, that they make an effort to understand not just your architecture, your technology and your security policies, but also how your business operates. Um, you know, uh, it saves a lot of time and, and Blaze, as you know, these audits are very time consuming, you know, a lot of work, a lot of effort. Um, so to have a, a firm that comes in and, and really makes an effort to understand how your business operates, it saves a lot of time at the end of the day. Um, uh, you know, not, not, not so many questions back and forth when you're providing evidence. Um, obviously, you know, meeting goals and deadlines, that's always important. So making sure that there's a very structured approach to the audits and, and deadlines and timelines and things of, of that nature. Um, that's uh, super important. And, and lastly, I would say, you know, having the right technology, so having the right tools to facilitate the exchange of information, the, the tagging of artifacts and evidence, the, you know, easily be able to, to track the evidence you're submitting, but also the different versions of documents. Um, I think that's very important because, um, you know, I, I, I think at this point in time, nobody wants to really deal with an audit tracking things on spreadsheets or in a very manual way, right? So, so yeah, as you're looking at third-party assessors, um, you know, making sure that they have these tools or solutions that make that exchange of information, you know, easy, secure, and yeah, and efficient. Um, and and of course, we've been, like I said earlier, we've partnered up with the line for many years, and I am happy to say that. 
uh, at least from my perspective, all of those boxes are ticked. So, um, you know, we're, 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 we're definitely, um, uh, looking forward to to continue our partnership and and but these are things that absolutely everyone out there should be looking for. Yeah, uh, and I I agree. I think uh, you said it. Um, so compliance audits are difficult. They're time consuming. You need to have the right tools in place in order to go through some of these things. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's very important to to maintain that that security posture with these compliance audits. Um, I think it's, it's, it shows a lot for companies for not just a vendor assessment that you check off. I think it shows a lot of importance that way. Um, so I absolutely agree. And I think it all comes back to that, to that budget that we were discussing that the it budget and making sure that, that uh, companies are putting more into that for many reasons. Um, so I think you explained that extremely well. Um, so thank you so much, Joe. No, absolutely. Artie, Joe, thank you again for your time on a great conversation today where we discuss what CISOs, CIOs, and CTOs should do in 2022. As we wrap up this conversation for our listeners, we hope we increased your compliance perspective. Thank you and talk to you next time. Bye-bye.